A look at the past is what we need to have a right heart toward the present. I really think that is what Paul is getting at in Ephesians chapter 2. And if you've got your Bibles, please open them up or your device, get it open to Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we're at this morning. Paul is not inviting these Christ followers to look back at how things used to be in their culture. He is inviting them to look back at where they were personally and where they are now and to let that whole look back guide their approach to where they're going to live in the future. The neat thing about this chapter, really these first parts of Ephesians, is that they can just be directly applied to us. We can read these like Paul was just writing it directly to us. And so I want to ask you, would you go there with me this morning? Would you go with me for 25 minutes or so and with me become Paul's audience as we read here this letter as if it were written directly to us because we need to hear it today? Will you go there with me? It's a very basic message. And again, I hope you like things in threes because that's how the Holy Spirit had Paul write it. It's going to talk to us about where you were, about where God was, and because of that, where it leaves you now. So I want to begin with that. Where were you? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, okay. Where were you? And you were dead. And you were dead. Wait, what? You were dead. How many of you who are followers of Christ today, when you look back at your life before Christ, would describe yourself that way? I was dead. How many would say that? Maybe you would say, well, I was wild. Or I wasn't living like I was supposed to. Or I was messing up. But not many people, I think, would look back at their previous life and say about it, I was dead. What does Paul say? Verse 1. Four words. And you were dead. I don't hear anybody even saying that. And you were dead. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were children of wrath, as were the rest of mankind. You were dead. You were the walking dead. You see that? You were dead. This is where Paul says we all once lived. And so I guess that makes you and me the walking dead. You may have been walking around, but when you were walking around in trespasses and sins, Paul says you were in the state of being dead spiritually. That's where you were. And we need to get a handle on this and what it means, first of all, is the problem that causes it. You were dead because you were walking in trespasses and sins. Anytime you see a sign that says no trespassing, 
you have the perfect illustration of what it means to walk in trespasses. That's where you're on a path, it's where you're supposed to go, and there are signs that say, don't go here and don't go here, but you step off the path and go where you're not supposed to. It's kind of like jumping on the grass when the little sign by the grumpy neighbor says, keep off the grass, trespassing. My first few memories in life are from the short time that my family lived in Portsmouth, Ohio. And I don't remember, I can remember I think four or five events from living there, but I do remember this one. I remember some guys pouring cement, making a sidewalk near our house. And I managed that whole day to stay off the sidewalk that they were pouring, the wet cement, except for when they were just about done, smoothing it all over. And I, for some reason, walked across it pulling my red wagon and left a neat little set of footprints and a trail of tires across it. Those guys who had just smoothed that over were not really pleased. And I guess I trespassed. God says to us, walk here. Stay on the trail here. We step off. That's trespassing. The other word here is sin. You've heard that one. Sin literally means to miss the mark. It's you're going to shoot for a bullseye on a target, but when you let go, you don't do it right, and so it misses. That's the idea there. And Paul says you used to walk dead in your trespasses and sins. Those words describe how God has said that we're supposed to live a certain way, and we choose not to. By the way, Tom and I did not collaborate this morning about what we were each going to say. But I got a feeling he looked at Ephesians 2. The sign said, wet paint. You sat down on the bench anyway. And you know, it doesn't matter how much you're sorry after you do that or what you say about it. When you stand up, it's still there. The man who commits murder, no matter how remorseful he might be afterwards, cannot raise the dead. The choice to get drunk or stoned, to steal, to lie, to be sexually loose, has a way of creating consequences that stick. They stay with us. You can feel sorry for what you have done, but that won't take it back. It's done. It's like a leech, and it just sticks on you in all of its slimy crud. Unable to undo what's already done, and God's word looks at us walking in that kind of life and says, you were dead. <clears throat> it's pretty common for us to categorize sins to help us feel better about ourselves, to help the sins seem smaller. Paul goes ahead and he does that for us. Verses 2 and 3, look at what he says there. You are following the pattern of this world following the prince of the power of the air, living by the passions of our flesh, the desires of the body and the mind. In other words, you were living after Satan's ways and your ways. That's fairly simple, isn't it? That's the problem. You see, the devil doesn't need to get us to commit murder or rape or some heinous crime or get us to commit our lives to attending the church of Satan all he needs to do is to convince us to live for ourselves. 
doesn't need for us to start a national movement to convince people that God is dead. Do you realize you're already part of a national movement to convince people that God is dead when you're living for yourself? French writer in the 1800s in a novel had this quote, the, the cleverest ruse of the devil is to persuade you he does not exist. All we have to do is follow after what we want instead of what God wants. To choose our ways instead of God's ways. Let me ask you something this morning. When you're not following the leadership of Jesus Christ in your life, whose leadership are you following? Whose way are you going after? If you're not taking directions from Jesus, where are you getting your directions? There's a description of it right here. In the passion of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. I notice in verse 3, by the way, that Paul changes from saying you to first person plural. We. And I want to suggest we try that right now. We all once lived this way. Paul could identify with this. He'd been there too. So should I, and so should you. I once lived among them in the passions of my flesh, carrying out the desires of my body and my mind like the rest. I was by nature a child of wrath like the rest of mankind. You know, sometimes I'm really glad for where I'm not, but this reminds me this morning that the rest of mankind is still there. Believer in Christ, do you see that? That's where they are. We take pictures, we, we keep journals and diaries, we write books, we tell stories, we record videos, uh, we go on trips and buy T-shirts, we bring back traffic citations. All those things to remember where we were, right? Gifts and things like that to remember. Remember, you were dead in your sin. Christian or not, that's where you were. If you're outside Jesus this morning, I want to tell you that's where you're at. That's the bad news. But stay tuned. Because from verse 4 on, Paul begins to speak about something else. Not just where you were, but where God was. Look at verse 4. But God. But God. Being rich in mercy, loved us with the great love with which he loved us. That's the good news. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Raised us up with him and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Isn't that great news? You know, these verses that we just looked at, starting in verse 1, remind me a lot of um, a poem a lot of you know. It's called A Visit from St. Nick. 
It's how it, it's how it reads. It was the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Stockings were hung by the chimney with care and hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. Children were all nestled, all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads, while Ma and her kerchief and I and my cap. It sets the scene, doesn't it? That's what's going on here at home. Got this going on, this going on. That's how it is. And then there's this big thing out in the front yard. When out in the yard there rose such a clatter, sprung from my bed. Wait till Christmas. All right. Well, verses 1 through 3 are like that. They set the scene for our lives. You were dead. Like the rest of mankind. That's what's going on over here. But verse 4, but God. But God, being rich in mercy, loved us with this great love. Anytime you see those two words, but God, you're about to read something wonderful. When all is lost and people are desperate, then comes the rescue. But God, it's like so many movies and things that you've seen. The car is about to go off the cliff. The building's about to collapse. The bomb is about to go off. The bad guy's about to pull the trigger. The earthquake's about to topple everything. And in steps the hero. Just when we were a mess, when we were dead, when sin had made us hopeless and helpless, in steps God. But God! That's how Romans 5 reads, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time, God is rich in mercy and loves us. Isn't that good news? Best news that we can put alongside where we used to be outside of Jesus Christ is that all during that time, God was rich in mercy and loved us with a great love. God loves you with a great love that shows itself by giving us his only son. When we were very unlovely, when we didn't deserve it, when God could have justifiably just forgotten about all of us, he loved us with a great love. 1973, Tony Orlando cut a song that rose to number one that year, tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. You guys that are here for the 50th anniversary, okay, yeah. Right. It was adapted from a story that came out of the Civil War. It tells the story of a passenger on a bus. He's headed to Miami. He explains to the driver that he's just released from serving three years in prison. And he had written to his wife in a letter, hey, I don't blame you, but if, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, if you want to Stick with me, then indicate that by just tying a yellow ribbon around the, the one oak tree in the courtyard of the little town that he lived in. And as the bus neared the town, the driver was asked to slow down so he could see if the ribbon was in place. Everybody on the bus by that time was all excited. They're all watching, and they all let up a cheer because there wasn't one ribbon but 100 yellow ribbons around the tree, the old oak tree. And there was no doubt about where his sweetheart's thoughts have been. Look at verse 4. When you read verse 4, there is no doubt about where God has been all this time. 
In spite of our rebellion, he loves us. He gives us his son to die for us on a cross. And when we look at that old tree, there's no uncertainty about where God is on this. In no uncertain terms, he's saying, I love you. This is how I love you. While you've been straying from me, I love you, and I'm welcoming you back. While you've been doing what you wanted instead of what I wanted, I've been giving you what you needed. While you've been dealing me indifference and rebellion, I've been dealing you mercy and grace and kindness. While you've been dead in your sins and trespasses, I've been working at raising you to life in Jesus Christ and seating you with him. Paul told the Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's where you and I were. That's where God was. Where does that leave us now? Glad you asked that. That's the third point. Where does it leave you now? Pick it up in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, the verb tense, if you look at it carefully, is saying this is where you're at now. This isn't about where you were. This is about where you're at. We were dead. God was merciful and raised us up, and now we are, what's the word? Saved. Saved. Church, we could stand to hear that today, couldn't we? We could stand to hear that today because sometimes the way we look at people who are not yet saved. 1992, Los Angeles County, parking control officer came upon a, an old brown El Dorado Cadillac. It was in Willowbrook. It was illegally parked. It was Friday morning. It was a day that the street cleaner was supposed to come by. The car should not have been parked at the curb. Someone was going to get a ticket. So the officer wrote out a ticket. He was, he was doing that. He totally ignored Kumasi Bridges, the man who was seated at the car's driving steering wheel. The officer reached inside his open car window, stuck the $30 citation on his dashboard, and went on his way. Mr. Bridges just sat there. He made no excuses. There was no argument or pleading. The reason that the car hadn't been moved, the reason that Mr. Bridges said nothing, was because he had been shot in the head 10 to 12 hours before. Kumasi Bridges was dead. And the officer was so preoccupied with writing a ticket and preoccupied with his own safety in the circumstances that he was unaware of anything out of the ordinary. He issued a ticket, got in his car, and drove away. By the way, the public had some words about that later. Here's a question for thought, Christian. 
Why don't people who aren't Christians act like they aren't Christians? Yeah, just answered itself, didn't it? Sometimes we tend to forget the reason that people aren't playing by the rules. We get upset about how they aren't interested in living like we're trying to live, and I want to tell you why that is. It's because they're dead. They need more than somebody to issue them a citation. They need someone to point them to the Savior. They need someone to help them out of death to life. So let's look again this morning and let's revisit it again and again and again. We're saved by grace, through faith, for good works. And it is the same for every person. You're saved by grace. We're saved in spite of where we've been and what we have done, in spite of what we actually deserve. Being saved is not because of what we deserve. It is, did you read it there, the gift of God. And if you're trying to save yourself this morning by how good you are, you're going to spend your whole life wondering if you're ever good enough or you're going to be so arrogant and you'll just stay that way, thinking that you could do it. Eugene Peterson said, we can't save ourselves by pulling on our own bootstraps, even when the bootstraps are made of the finest religious leather. (laughs) Titus 3.3 says it this way, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Does this sound familiar? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's almost like Paul had written that. (laughs) Saved by grace. Through faith, he says. That, by the way, is the part that makes it real for each one of us. God's grace really is a gift, but no gift is any good to us unless we receive it. It's really there, but until we accept the gift, it doesn't do anything for us. It's like getting up on Christmas morning and just leaving everything under the tree. Real saving grace in Jesus will take us through accepting the gift. That gift of grace, real belief, real trust in him will make us want to change. It'll make us want to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. It'll make us want to be united with him in baptism. It'll make us want to have a whole new set of priorities, a whole new direction in life. That's how we're saved, through faith, yet on the basis of God's grace. We're saved by grace, through faith, for what? Good works. Notice where good works come in all of this. They're part of it, but they are the cart that goes behind the horse. Good works follow. God has planned some good works for you to do, not to earn your salvation, but in response to salvation. Real faith will produce real works in life. You don't save yourself by coming to church services a certain number of times. You don't save yourself by praying a certain prayer or by reading your Bible just so much or by serving in so many ministries of the church. But let me tell you this this morning. If you are saved, there won't be any question whether or not those things ought to be and will be a part of your life. 
I wonder what good works God has prepared in advance so that you would walk in them. Do you? Help a children's ministry, be an elder in the church, teacher, somebody who serves behind the scenes. Pray for your one person. Bring that person along with you. Help somebody who's down. Just be a good friend to somebody who needs that. See, we don't talk about those things at Central Christian Church because we're just trying really hard to keep some program going. We're trying to get followers of Jesus to do the good works that God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. God has a purpose for recreating us in Christ. He's prepared good works for us to do as a response of love from us who love him. Do you? This part of Ephesians 2 is so useful. I think for anybody who will look at it with an open heart, and I know I'm speaking to basically two groups of people this morning, and that is if you're already following Jesus, then you need to take a look back and you need to remember. You were dead, remember? You were dead. This grace we live in isn't a result of our works. It's a gift from God. No room for boasting in that. We were just like the rest of mankind until the Lord saved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So we can step forward with renewed appreciation for what we've been saved from. Amen? And we can have a better heart toward people who haven't been saved yet. Because we were there. There's a second group, I know, and that is someone who's not yet following Jesus. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to ask you this morning, will you deal honestly with where you're at in your life today? If you're not following Jesus Christ, whose lead are you following? Where is it going to take you? God is still rich in mercy. God has shown great love toward you, and he has made a way for you to be saved, not based on your own works. Aren't you glad for that? <laughs> but on the perfect life of Jesus Christ. He's the one that wants you there with him. He's the one that gives you the invitation today to life in him. So this morning we're just facilitating that. We're just trying to create a time and a setting where you'll step forward and say, yes, this is the time, this is the moment. I'm ready to become a follower of Jesus. If that's you today, we're, we're making that really clear. In a moment here, we're going to have a word of prayer. We're going to have one last song together. And during that time, any time from then to the time that we leave this room, is a time to come forward, physically step forward and Come talk to me about your relationship with Jesus. Say, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready. Let's stand up. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your words. It's not easy for us to look back and to say we were dead. That's where we were. Like the rest of mankind. And for every person yet not aligned with you, not yet under your leadership, Father, 
right now. We want that to change. We know that that's your desire. Somebody taught that good news to us in the past. Somebody urged us to make that decision and change in life. Father, put that same sense of urgency in us. Pray for uh, we who are already following you this day, that we would step forward with a, a, a better view of what you've called us to be, where you've called us from, what you have for us to do. Father, for those who are wrestling with this decision, please help them to see your truth for what it is. Uh, help them to see the necessity of your lordship in our lives. We don't want to live following after the pattern of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Thank you for the freedom that we can have in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.